This podcast is brought to you by Ideate and Execute. Do you want to drive innovation in your organization, futurize your enterprise, ideate massively valuable new products, or execute them to market? Then contact us today at ideateandexecute.com and get started. Why listen to the past when you can listen to the future? Welcome to the Think Future podcast, broadcasting from deep in the heart of Silicon Valley, California. We focus on innovation, startups, and the future, not necessarily those and not necessarily in that order. Here's your host. I love it. And you're at a standing desk. Yes, I am. Actually, it's one of those desks that goes up and down. Yeah. Is it autonomous? Uh, no, I wish. <laughs> it's automatic. If okay. it was autonomous. No, no, no. Autonomous is the name of the company. No, actually, I this I've had this one for a while, so I don't really okay. remember. It's called the like the walking company or the, the okay. s- sitting company. I forget what it was called, but something to do okay. with walking or sitting. But yeah, no, there's a company called Autonomous um, that does the desks and stuff like that. And really? Yeah. I actually love an autonomous desk, so it could detect. Right. You know when I need to sit down and when I need to stand up, so that you know as I walk up to it, you know, or I'm sitting here working away and I'm sitting, and then all of a sudden it starts going right. up. So and then you stand you know, up, yeah. Reminding me time to stand up, you know, instead of my watch just going, time to stand. Exactly right. So it's interesting that you say that because we look at the devices we have right now as reminders and things like that. But that's actually not how we work as human beings. Yeah. We actually need something else to propel us. Or, you know, like you said, the desk automatically starts getting up because it knows you've been sitting for 20 minutes. Yeah. Okay. It starts going up and you just do it, right? You're not thinking about it. You're not having to make the action. It's forcing you to make the action um, versus, oh, reminder, you need to drink water. Okay. That doesn't help me actually drink water. Yeah. I mean, not that not that I'm going to have a, you know. Thanks for reminding connected. me. Right. <laughs> I know. Right here, right? Let me drink some water. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? I mean, uh, I mean. I think what's happening is that we're, we're, we're surrounded by so much, so many reminders and these things, even though they have the ability to sort of force us to do things because, you know, as humans, we forget a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they don't quite, they're not quite there yet. So I think that's what we need to do next, right? We need to get these devices to have enough intelligence so that they can help us be better at what we want to do. do. Interestingly enough, I had, um, I had, found a co-founder and this is about, I want to say three or four years ago, but we were looking at that from a clothing perspective. Mm-hmm. We were thinking long-term, I mean, granted, I mean, you have to start somewhere, but long-term the vision was that clothes would enhance your life right. in the sense that if it tells you that you need to drink water, it's telling you because you're getting to the point of dehydration. And if you mm-hmm. get dehydrated, it kind of, I mean, somehow there would be ways for it to tell you why it's telling you to drink water and what the effects would be five, six hours down the line. Right. right. Um, that therefore then, then it creates a habit for you. Then the habit is sticks, right? We also know that a lot of these reminders are just things for habits. Yeah. And habits cannot be created by reminders. Habits have to be created by doing and exactly. understanding why we're doing it and how it affects us 
not for the moment, but the the marshmallow test, right? Mm -hmm. You get a marshmallow right now and you don't eat it. Or if you eat it, you won't get a second one. But if you keep the marshmallow and you wait for five minutes, you'll get a second marshmallow. Right? That's right. This is done with kids. Actually, I think it's a Stanford study, right? So right here in Colorado, I'm not sure if it's a Stanford study, but yeah, I, re I, remember, I remember that. But right? I mean, remember the power of habit, right? Remember Charles yeah. Duhigg, he wrote, um, all of our habits are sort of ingrained into our dinosaur brain at the lowest yeah. level. So we always have to kind of overlay them with other habits. Otherwise, they just keep coming back up again. Right. Exactly, right? I mean, they're, they're conscious choices. Um, yeah. But yeah, anyway. Hi. Hey. Hi. <laughs> we just, we just, let's just go right into it. Why not? <laughs> so I'm actually, this is, this is an experiment for me. Normally I have my head, headset on when I'm doing okay. this, but I actually figured out how to get my microphone to work properly. So this is the first time I'm actually doing it free of headset. So that's awesome. I know it, I've noticed that most people that do these do put headsets on. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've, I've always wondered about that because I'm like, why <laughs> we well, have so you can hear yourself right that's like the radio station thing it's like oh i'm here i'm listening to what i sound like but oh, you know I'm, I'm not that i don't want to do that i'm not that of a much of a professional <laughs> even though i used to, i used to be a real i i um, i used to have a, a podcast that I, I did for an incredibly long period of time i had 900 plus episodes and i got really into it and all the sound this and that and blah 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 and now we're like you know time this was like 10 years ago and now times have changed so much that you know we can just easily we have software that makes your voice sound good you know it's all you know you know it's all there you have, to have the super amazing mic and the super amazing headphones and the super amazing studio and all of that stuff because there are electronic ways of getting around that mm -hmm. well kind of goes to a top you know a topic that's interesting as content right mm -hmm. um especially our generation gen x and boomers uh we're used to good quality content and if somebody doesn't create good quality content even us we feel like well what are they doing but the fact of the matter is you know even for me coming from that corporate world but being such a free spirit i really can appreciate someone creating something and putting it out there and i've gotten to a point where i look at stuff and i'm like oh that's really cool and it's not that it's like this high production value thing. And so I sometimes look at myself and say to myself, well, why do, why do I feel like I'm always having to create high production value? And actually I have a story in the sense that I, I recorded uh, a course that I want to do for corporations or for individuals, but that could be um, a course that corporate executives take as a, in real life. But I wanted mm -hmm. to do a recording first so people could kind of understand what it was all about. And to be honest with you, I've got the team to record it, all that kind of stuff. And the content's there too. And it's not me. Oh, no. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, I don't know if I want to, I mean, the content's there, the production value's great, but I'm just sitting and watching myself and I'm like, oh my God, even I wouldn't watch myself, mm -hmm. you know, because it's, it's about me. And I'm like, I can't just well, I can just re-record it, but the thing is I'm going to have to pay that same amount of money to re-record it. And part of me is, oh, and then our older one made a video the other day and it was just, uh, it was just um, images and put the music and all this and he's 13 and I'm like, whoa, how'd you, wait, you did all this on your own? I'm like, yeah. wait, you know what? You can record me. I'm going to do a pre-video to all these videos and say, guess what? 
that was full production value. This is me. And you're going to have to deal with it for a little bit. And I'll come and say hi once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's, just, that's the way to do it. Cause the high, the high production value stuff, I think people aren't at that interested in it anymore. I no, mean, look at, look at somebody like Joe Rogan, right? He's just yeah. got a mic in a room and you know, everything's visible, you know, nothing's hidden. You can see right. everything going right. on and the guy's like uh, super popular. So yeah. it's the same with this kind of thing. It's like, you know, we, let's leverage the technology to just be spontaneous. Exactly. That's well, what we need to do. the human part, right? Our, I mean, that's who we are as humans. So why are we trying to dress it up? You know, yeah. not that we're pigs, but why are we trying to dress it up? <laughs> well, it's, all about, it's all about uh, putting up a facade, right? Because we're all, yeah. we're all before, before all of this started to happen with, a, you know, push authenticity is that we all had to have our facades up. Right. It's like, here's my work facade and here's my, my school facade. My, yep. my, it's like the, it's like the George Constanza world's colliding kind of thing where of course, who knows who's going to get that reference, right? It have to be. <laughs> right. There, there might be quite a few people that don't, but I did get it. So it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the thing, right? Is that I think less and less of us have got that. Uh, although it kind of, it's kind of balancing out because, you know, people are using filters and, and they right. want to improve themselves so that so that they look better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, our personas or who we are to the world now is our online persona, yes. right? And we could either be uh, beautifully uh, filtered, or yeah. we could just be real. And I think yes. I think kind of like it, people would like both sides, really. I mean, <laughs> well, and then I mean, so there's there's something to say for like okay, LinkedIn, right? Your my LinkedIn professional my picture is a professional photographer that did it about four years ago, mm-hmm. um, but even I'm starting to look at it and I love the picture, and it is really me. But I'm looking at it, I'm like, it's not quite me anymore, right? So I need to do a new picture. But then I see people putting very casual social pictures, and even I'm like, um, that's not LinkedIn. Yeah, that, you know. Put a, at least put a picture that, sure, you can show your real self. Um, you can even be in casual clothes or whatever, but that look on your face should, you know, I don't know. It's, it's not a dating site. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and if you're going to put a picture like that, that is very much a dating, and, it, and it's just about, I mean, it's not me judging. It's just if I'm perceiving it that way, um, and it's more females who do this than males. But if I'm somebody who's non-judgmental is perceiving that, then guess what? The rest of the world's not even thinking twice. Yeah. I'm thinking twice because I'm all about people. I'm all about what am I perceiving from what I'm seeing? You know, I'm consciously thinking about it. So I'm, I'm almost trying to say it from a perspective. If you want the right people to come to you, then you've got to put what the perception with the right perception in front of them yeah yeah otherwise they're yeah. not going to do you remember um the new adventures of christine Mm-mm. that show Mm-mm. it's the same actress who played El- elaine bennis in um and she's also in veep i forget her i forget her okay. name julia yeah. louise dreyfus right okay so she was in this in this is in this show that i used to watch it was a long time ago and they had this one um episode where they were talking about the differences between uh, sort of like looks and intelligence and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they were doing this whole riff about how they're basically the opposite of what you'd normally say, like, Oh, you know, it's how intelligent you are, not how you look and stuff like look, that. Yeah. And, and she started going on to this rant, but you know, it's, it's what's on the outside that counts. And I thought to myself, that's exactly right. 
I mean, from an initial impression. 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 What's on the outside of this counts. And, you know, human beings, being the creatures that we are, we haven't really evolved from the savannah. We right. make snap judgments based on, you know, a couple seconds of. Right. Exactly. A couple seconds and it's like uh, instant likability or instant uh, annoyance or hatred or whatever. It's just like, whatever boom. Whatever it may be. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so I, I, again. Gotta, and then our thinking brains have got to kick in and go, hmm. Should I have really thought like that about this person? Right. I- <laughs> but it's funny you say that, Chris, because most you, you say that, but most people are not even going that far. Yeah. Right? I mean, I'm an executive coach. My, my, my persona, my who I am is immediately to engage with people, right? And even I go through that 30 seconds of what am I perceiving, Mm-hmm. Right, but after that thirty seconds, I go into my mode of I'm just going to engage. I'm a human being. I'm going to put myself out there so that that person gets to know me, because I know they may be perce- perceiving whatever they want to perceive about me, and I quickly want to change that thought. Right. Um, you know, because I've actually had people. I mean, older white males. I've actually had an older white males come and actually have those conversations where they say, "Well, we're going to have nothing in common." And guess who's still talking to me two and a half hours later? Right, right. And it's like, <laughs> seriously? You know, know, it's all about the cognitive piece, not just the you know, nope. visual piece, right? Exactly. You know, I've been, called, I've been called an old white man by some of my friends. They're like, <laughs> right now, you really sound like an older white man. And I'm like, well, on the internet, you know, you, okay. can, be, you can be a dog, right? It's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> wasn't that a cartoon? I remember a cartoon. Anyway. But yeah, so, so, so as an executive coach, what do you think? Where do you think we're going? You think we're going towards more authenticity or we're leaning more towards, you know, putting up beautiful facade? Um, hmm. That's a great question, actually. Um, I think it's generational. Mm -hmm. I think boomers and Gen Xers are learning to be more authentic. Mm -hmm. Um, But part of that is they haven't even, a lot of them are just, just starting to go through even the self-awareness. They're not aware of what they actually want in this new world order. Right. What they were doing was the path and they were supposed to do certain things and they were doing them and they lived it. And the family life was that way. And the work life was that way. And these two personas or multiple personas. And then we have this generation of millennials coming in and they're like from day one, they're like, well, I care about social responsibility. I care about my relationships. I care about what matters to me. Um, no, I'm not this 21-year-old that doesn't know anything. You know, I, I actually have value to give, and I'm going to speak my mind. And boomers and Gen Xers were like, whoa, you haven't been around long enough. Yeah, you don't know anything. <laughs> you don't know anything. But the fact of the matter is, and I just I, somebody told this story about a week ago, millennials grew up with what I'm defining as a lot more violence. Mm. 9-11, you know, most of them, I think they were like 10 to 15 years old. Um, Gun violence, you know, in their schools, like right then and there. I mean, they're growing up with it. I mean, schools that have, what do you call it? The the metal detectors and stuff. I mean, are you kidding me? Okay, look, Gen X, we were latchkey kids. Mm-hmm. Our both our parents worked. We did everything on our own. We had to work hard. Blah blah. You know. Okay. So we had our own things. But what they went through actually has affected that generation psychologically and emotionally, which is why they have FOMO. Right. You're missing out. I don't know. Why? I mean, 
I'm get, I get FOMO a lot too, <laughs> especially looking at all the looking at all the books behind me that I have yet to read. <laughs> Mine are all my Kindle, so I, I guess whenever I open my Kindle, I see. Yeah, you know, I, I I used to have a library full of books I've read. Now I have a library full of books oh, I haven't yeah, read. Right. Yep. When it's like, ah, uh, so there's just there's just too much to 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 insert into here and I don't have enough time to insert it so right and no I I understand I mean and there's some amazing books that are coming out people are continuing to I mean if you go look at it from a book perspective people are becoming more authentic people are saying we need to be more authentic but I actually feel like they're telling that story to the boomers and Gen Xers mm. and then I would say on the on the flip side you know when we talk about the authenticity from like a millennial perspective a lot of it's social media they're there i think they're actually a little bit more real real life but then there's a huge group of them that are creating these different personas online because that's what they want yeah and so then you have the filters and you know all that kind of stuff and i'm making generalizations right but i will say there's a little bit of a gap between is it either just authentic or is it either just um you know the facades and i think we're coming to a middle ground through the generations uh but it's very different when it when it comes generationally so so do you think that a an executive nowadays should have TikTok or should be on all these social media platforms no, I actually have never believed that executives needs to be on every platform. Um, if anything, as much as I used to be a um, first adopter for a lot of technology, because I came from marketing, right? So in the marketing world, when Twitter launched, you know, as a marketer, I should have been on it. It took me about three years to go on it. And here's the reason why. Not because... I was worried about new technology or whatever. I just fundamentally never believed in it. I didn't believe in it and I still don't believe in it. And I, and I, if I, if I think that stats were to be there, I mean, most of Twitter now is just bots and, you know, putting out information. It's like, nobody's really, I mean, there are people who read it, which I don't understand, but I'm like, an executive is not going to have the time to sit and read through a thousand Twitter tweets, sorry, a thousand tweets that have come out by different people. When, by the way, there's still a lot of traditional media that will give you, the headlines and what's going on and all that kind of stuff. I know that, I mean, if anything, I look at Twitter, I think in the past, and I can't think of the examples, but I think Twitter has been amazing in situations where people didn't have access to certain stuff and they were able to connect with each other on Twitter to be able to speak about something and, and, and take a situation and help a situation because they were able to collectively get tons of people on it. Right. But as a media, I'm like, no, I mean, I get that everybody has it and every company's supposed to have it, but I really don't care for it. Yeah. Um, and part of me, you know, for my executive coaching, I, I don't, I, I mean, I, did, I think I created an account, but I've never put anything on it. Okay, so let's go back to sort of executive coaching, right? Yes. So is that is that your key thing now? That's that what you're doing today, or yeah? So I'm the span of the stuff that you're working on. Yeah, so I'm actually so I'm um, I have my own executive coaching practice. I moved out to Silicon Valley about a year and a half ago. Um, so originally came uh, moved out here for a full time role, but then realized that after leaving the corporate world three times, I'm ready to finally leave and focus. Um, mostly on executive coaching. I say mostly because I'm also expanding into executive recruiting. Hmm. Um, and so I'm actually, uh, I'm co-founding a company with some co-founders. Um, the reason uh, it's, it's, it's a startup, 
Um, so it is technology-based uh, versus my practice is more of a service-based company. But we want to disrupt executive code, um, sorry, executive recruiting with the use of technology. Um, going back to our early conversation about authenticity, right? So how do companies create job descriptions as they're going through the interviewing process to, for at an executive level, that gives more insights into the culture, the organization, the team, um, the ways of working, right? Things that for an executive really makes a lot of difference in whether they join a company or not without waiting through going through the entire interview process. That also then on the flip side, technology allows the candidate to be able to describe themselves from a cultural mindset, ways of working perspective, so that as executive recruiters are looking for matches, we're finding more real matches without going through six interviews before you actually decide, oh wait, this is, this is not a match at all, right? Because on the surface, it may look like matches, but then when you get and bring in the psychometrics, the human element, um, the dynamics uh, of both the individual and the company and all those different things, there could be gaps, right? And that's one example. So that's one example of doing it, educating people on being able to get companies to become more direct with what they're looking for, um, getting candidates to understand the language of how do you describe yourself, um, and then all kinds of other things on a platform. So we're, we're creating a long-term platform to kind of change executive recruiting to bring in the right candidates underlying message, i.e. a little bit more diversity, not just demographic, but also cognitive diversity at the earlier stages of this whole process um, of people looking for jobs and companies looking for candidates. So could you say it's like an e-harmony of executive recruiting where we have a, a much more deeper dive into the data on both sides and the matching algorithms or the matching? Uh, yeah. The, like it's an optimal matching platform for between uh, candidates and, and jobs. Yeah, and that's one component of it. Um, definitely matching. I don't know if I want to be compared to eHarmony. Um, <laughs> just think of it, you know. But it, yeah, you're right. Or 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 more like a um, you know, more like an I guess OkCupid that actually does have a lot more algorithms, right? right. Based on what matters to you. And I say that because um, OkCupid is more. Here's here's the question, and they're very poignant questions, right? And how important is this to you? And how important is it? to what the other person answers also, right? right? Because if there are topics that are important to you, but it's an, it doesn't matter to the other person and you don't care what the other person answers, they're still matching versus mm -hmm. something is important to you and you feel one way and something is important to the other person and they feel the other way, that's gonna be a little bit more of a challenge, right? Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. But yeah, we're, we are trying to create a large platform to also bring in candidates that may already not be in any of the executive recruiting databases, mm -hmm. right? Because not every, you know, executive out there has used executive recruiters before. And so companies may be missing out on potential candidates just because they're not in a recruiter database, right. just because they don't have the traditional experience, just because, you know, they don't know the mindset, but yet this person could be right for their business, right? So we're trying to bring all those pieces together through technology um, to kind of disrupt executive recruiting. You know, that reminds me of a, a book I'm, I just finished reading called Quality Land, and it's set okay. in, the, in the near future, 
where there's this um, uh, company called Quality Partner that will automatically determine whether or not the person that you're with is the best person for you to be with mm -hmm. and will send you notifications saying, hey, you know, I, we see your relationship suboptimal. Here's like five other people you probably should be going out with. Maybe you should do that. Wow. <laughs> and it does it by re reviewing everybody's, uh, you know, uh, preferences and social media. And, you know, mm -hmm. since we have devices all around us listening oh, to yeah. everything, it can tell if there's strife in the relationship and stuff like that. Wow. And the protagonist actually lost his, lost his partner because she said, oh, you know, I could do better because quality partner said, here's five people who are better than oh, you. Wow. So I'm going to leave you. I'm going to go to these other people. <laughs> so it's a little bit of a um, dystopian uh, right. envisioning of the future. But, I mean, who knows? We're probably going to get to that point. So is this going to be like, um, I'm sitting here, I'm doing my job, I'm, I'm, I'm happy, you know, I'm, I'm well compensated. And then all of a sudden I'll get an email saying, hey, you know, there's another job at this other company and they really need you and you're way more of a match than you are here. You should go. <laughs> you know, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, I think Actually, it's not necessarily a bad thing because, you know, maybe there's a better, if it's a better match. Yeah. I mean, maybe from a relationship perspective, it's not so good, but from a you know, sort company of perspective. corporate company perspective, I mean, I think both the employer and the employee want to be in the right role. Right. right? Exactly. There, you know, someone's going to be unhappy. Absolutely. No, right. I think there's definitely potential for that. We'd also have to look at the unintended consequences of that. Right. But I think definitely, I think it starts helping what I was talking about before. A lot of my, what the work I do is actually helping people through self-awareness. Um, that's the first step of what I go through with them through the executive coaching, because that helps them define themselves. Um, it doesn't necessarily tell them what they want. It just helps them define themselves and articulate themselves. Right. So yes, when we come to the executive recruiting, absolutely. There's no reason why their potential is not there for us to be able to tell people, Hey, you've got skill sets that match out here. Maybe you're interested in that because that's the other part of it. Anonymity right? Anonymity for a company to say, I want to go out there and search for people without putting a job out there. And part of the, re and you know, question comes up is like, why would a company be anonymous? But the thing is, if we look at business and business results today, the right people do search to find out what kind of jobs companies are posting at executive levels to understand where they're going with their business. Yeah. You know, exactly. um, it's, it's actually, well-known fact in business circles, but a lot of people may not think about it, you know, mm -hmm. and then from a candidate perspective, well, if I'm at another company or whatever, you know, and I'm a leader, I, I do, you know, from a, from a values perspective, you need to be the leader as long as you're in a company, right? That is your role. And if you do not agree with stuff, then it is your role to walk away. But until you do, you have to be a leader. Right. And so for them, it's very hard for them to say, oh, yeah, I'm looking because usually the world, again, very small mm -hmm. and somebody will come to know. And that's not how you want it to happen. Right. Well, here's a question for you. So I've been I wrote a while back through a bunch of different blog posts that since 2008, 2008, the, Latin, the Great Recession has changed our relationship with uh, the employer employee relationship that it used to be. There used to be a lot more loyalty between the two. Mm -hmm. And ever since 2008, it seems like both corporations and employees have said, you know, this loyalty bound is broken. Yep. And, you know, employees are a lot more mercenary. Companies are a lot more mercenary. And do you feel the same way? And if that's the case, you know, 
this is actually a really good application for this kind of world because it's kind of like, okay, I'm looking out for myself because I know my company is not really looking out for me. Mm -hmm. So it's probably best if I have a lot of irons in the fire just in case mm -hmm. something were to happen. Are you seeing that too? What I am seeing is a deterioration of trust, which is what you're talking about. Um, people feel like I need to know what else is out there. Um, I need to be connected, which in some ways helps the company also, even if you're there, because it makes sure that your people are looking outward instead of only inward, right? Um, part of the reason loyalty was created before also is people didn't know what else was going on. Right. <laughs> you know, if you don't know what else is going on, you're like, okay, I'm getting paid, I'm getting paid well, and okay, this is the way it's supposed to be, right? We didn't know what we didn't know. Right. Um, Things are being built a lot faster. Technology is changing how we work. Um, again, it's more for Gen X and you know boomers, um, especially who are already in executive levels, and they're starting to worry that you know that next generation's coming up pretty fast, or the next generation is just building their own stuff. Well, they're building their own stuff, which creates different paradigm shifts. Right. Um, so can, I mean, can we change that? It's going to take some time. I think it's going to take time for that trust to be rebuilt because Gen X and boomers have a long way to go in terms of building trust. We, we <clears throat> trust a very small group of people, uh, but to trust the system, it's, it, it's a much larger kind of um, topic, I guess you could say. Right. So, so, so on that topic, um, where we're talking about Gen X and boomers are starting to get older. And I, I don't really know that many um, Gen X and boomers who are still employed <laughs> at a traditional company, right? It's kind of like I they didn't. got to, you know, some certain age, 40, 45 or something like mm -hmm. that. Yep. And they found themselves out in the job market. And yes. unless they have super specialized skills in a particular area, they're like floundering, looking for work, and they always fall into consulting. And when they fall into consulting, they actually do okay. Because it's kind of like uh, companies expect you to be a consultant when you pass a certain experience level. Yep. But prior to that, they prefer you to be an employee. And I think, do you have any thoughts on that? You know, it's, it's a great insight. I hadn't really thought of it that way. Um, I actually do know a lot of Gen X and boomers who are also still working, but I also mm -hmm. know a lot of them who are doing startups. Um, I know a lot of them who are consultants, right? Um, and then that just becomes the way of way of ways of working. I do know that those who are consultants feel a little bit more like salespeople in the sense that they're not quite sure what that income coming in is going to be. So they still um, have a lot of stress on their shoulders. Mm -hmm. um, and it is very interesting that companies want, well, uh, let me say it this way. Old school corporations have that expectation because if you look at startups or even Silicon Valley companies, they're actually trying to hire right out of school for mm -hmm. the younger folks. Even the people yep. that they're trying to bring in later, they're like, well, sure, you have 20 years of startup experience, but you never led a large team. And sorry, we can't bring you into Facebook right. or Google right. or LinkedIn or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but I have 20 years of experience. I mean, I've had, I know folks who have gone through this experience and they're just like, this is so weird, you know. 
I've got startup experience, I've got Silicon Valley experience, I have the experience to do the job. Yes, I had a startup team that I built from one to 20, but okay, this is going to be, you know, I don't know, 40, 50 person team. And you're saying that's the one reason you're not going to hire me. Right. That makes no sense. That makes makes no sense. The the skills that you've built are totally applicable to the So experience, actually experience is becoming a, um, um, what is it? What's the word I'm looking for? Experience is becoming a, a hindrance to finding jobs for those who are boomers and uh, Gen Xers in the um, newer worlds, but in the old corporate world, you know, there's not enough executive roles, Mm. right? And then people at a certain level are starting to feel pressure that, wait, I'm not being able to go up the ladder or whatever. And then I think that's, that's the dynamic that's making them become consultants. Right. It's interesting that you say up the ladder because is there still a ladder? I mean, I think that's so. what we, that's what we all thought. We all thought that's what we all thought when we were growing up. I don't know about you, but I, when I was growing up, it's like, okay, you know, get them, get the job, this job, and then just make your way up to the corner office. Yep. And it's like, wait a minute, you wait know, that, that was then this yep. is now, yep. is there still a ladder? I think in many, com- many traditional corporations, there is. Um, you know, I think we focus a lot in the media on the, you know, your traditional corporation, traditional top corporations and traditional, uh, sorry, and the new gen, you know, top cor- uh, corporations, because they're corporations too. I mean, Facebook's and LinkedIn's and all that, they're still corporations. I'm sorry, you have more mm-hmm. than four people now. You're a cor- corporation. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And sometimes but, sometimes like lump them in with startups. And I'm like, no, no, no. No, no, they, I'm sorry. They're corporations. Um, so when you, when you, when we look at it from that perspective, we look at how many businesses and companies they, there still are. Yeah. There's a lot of company. I mean, there may not be the glamorous companies, but there's still a lot of companies with that corporate hierarchy. Um, there hasn't been a shift quite yet to get moving more to, um, what is the right word? Is it oligarchy? Um, no, I'm saying it wrong, so I'm not even going to say it. But there are other models out there where, or let's take, for example, Zappos model, right? Zappos model wasn't hierarchical. It was you managed your projects, you know, through to finish, and um, there wasn't much of a hierarchy, right? But how do you get two generations to first understand that and understand that they can still be successful and success also. So I'm going to another topic, but success is not defined anymore as just your individual success. Mm -hmm. That success has to be collective for a company to be, um, to be successful. And therefore we're changing, you know, again, that next generation is kind of changing that. um, Yeah. You're not going to be top dog all the time. And top dog is not necessarily what we define as being the most successful. Right, because a typical old school corporation, you you go up the ranks. You go up the ladder. Working underneath you, and then it go on and on, and eventually you get to the corner office. Mm -hmm. And so that's what it's kind of what's incentivized, right? It's incentivized Mm -hmm. for you to continue going up the ranks. But in these new organizations, going up the ranks is not incentivized. In fact, you don't want to incentivize that because they're going to be spending their times doing their time working on that as opposed to you know developing 
whole new stuff. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I think, I don't think that paradigm shift has happened yet. Um, maybe so in your companies and your startups and things like that, but yeah, that's, that's still a ways away. Okay. So, so when you're talking to people who are in those startup companies, what's, what, where are they going? I mean, where do they want to go? What, what, what's success for them? Hmm. For, so interestingly enough, um, you know, so our target for executive recruiting actually is startups. Um, and it's getting to, so instead of trying to totally change the language for a corporation, right, we're starting with startups who are kind of new to the game, so to say, but as they get their series A, series B, they need executives, right? They need the right executives that can come in and help them grow and build and scale. What's very interesting um, is that not all founders are necessarily the best CEOs, right? That's that's true. I've seen that. And so sometimes, you know, founders need to step away and new people come in as CEOs, but they're not the original founders. So unless the founder has created a real strong culture, they're not necessarily hiring somebody that may match with the culture of that founder. But then part of it sometimes, you know, that the, the, the flip side of the coin is sometimes the founder is taken out because they don't have the culture to create scale. Right. So going back to your question, what do startups want? It depends on who you're talking to. If it's the investors and the new leadership team and stuff, they want success and it becomes just like any other corporation where you got to work and slog and make sure you make your metrics and make sure you make your numbers and Oh yeah, we'll have a little bit of conversation about culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, oh sure, we'll put an executive coach in place, but you know, executive coach is there more to just talk with people, not necessarily building that culture, right? And so, in some ways, the, the, it's the same trap. You know, just because that new generation is coming in and they think about things differently, doesn't mean they're really doing anything differently. Right. And right. startups, by the way, I should also, I mean, step back for a second. Startups aren't just 20 year olds. Um, actually, in Silicon Valley, I think there's a lot more people that instead of going the consulting route are saying, you know what, we're going to do a startup. Yep, that's true. Right? Um, and right maybe, and startup. maybe yeah. you just sit, sit in the fills for five minutes. <laughs> and like everybody around you is talking about how they're going to build this amazing startup that's right. going to revolutionize everything, which exactly. is great. I, love I mean, we're, we're talking about that too, right? So, <laughs> I mean, I have my executive coaching practice, which is very much service oriented, but I'm also thinking about the startup. But to me, they're both laddering in very, very well, right? Because even in, if we were to create a platform, there has to be that human element perspective. What is actually happening? What is going through people's minds? What is, you know, what is motivating the candidates? What, what does the company really care for? So going back to your question, you know, what are the startups doing? You know, that's something hopefully we're thinking we can help grow it and mold it at the same time um, as we talk about these things. Um, Because part of it is, it's very hard to change something that's already there, but once we can start the movement, it can then grow from there. So let's talk a little bit about the future. Cause you know, that's me. I'm a future guy. Uh, I'm here. So let's talk about, the, about, gal, the, about the future <laughs> of work. So uh, I, I, I do some work with the IFTF Institute for the future. And they were talking about the future of work being a lot like where Uber seems to be going. And it's, you've okay. got a bunch of workers at the bottom. You've got these algorithms in between that are doing the middle management 
And then you've got senior management up here. And then maybe you have like a little cadre of wizards who are the software developers mm -hmm. who build the algorithms. But the, the middle management layer is gone, gone, right? And that's what they're saying the future of work might end up being because that's they're seeing that starting to happen with Uber mm -hmm. and some of the companies, Airbnb, et cetera. Do you see that happening across the board everywhere? Or do you think that's just sort of like a specific areas? Interesting. I haven't necessarily seen it per se, but if I were to look at the future, um, we're definitely going towards those algorithms, the bots, the RPA, right? Um, and I think we're, we're going to get comfortable with that. Um, however, I also am of the ilk of, I do not believe technology is taking away jobs. I'm of the ilk that I believe that people need to be upskilled and retrained. And I was talking about that in 2017, probably before that, but I actually wrote about it in 2017 on a blog. Mm. And people are finally doing it, right? I mean, we've seen a lot of companies create organizations that they're retraining their employees because it creates the loyalty and all that kind of stuff. And so another thought that has come up in the last couple of weeks is that if we have that middle management become the technology, we're actually freeing up our minds to do bigger and better things and create bigger and better things. And so maybe the setup is that way, but I think we're going to go from a finite number of companies to almost, it's just going to explode. Yeah. It's going to explode because technology is being able to do some of the mundane rote things that unfortunately middle management has to do right, right now as a human being, right? That can be codified and that can be created through technology and human beings, if they are able to be reskilled and uptrained and you know, all those kind of things, we'll start using our creative brain a little bit more and creating even more things that continue to ladder into this way of working yeah. and then keep enhancing our life and keep, you know, just changing the world we see it as, it, as it is today. Yeah, yeah. No, I get a lot of heat sometimes because I say automation is a good thing. And it's, yeah. I'm, I'm happy that a computer took your job away because if, you're, if, you, if a computer can do your job, you probably shouldn't be doing it. That, you exactly. a human being. I'm not sure. <laughs> Sorry, that was Alexa. Um, uh, I, a uh, device, <laughs> I can't say the, the, word, the C word, uh, otherwise Alexa will wake up. Uh, a computer will have to do it. Um, what was I going to say? If a computer can do your job, you shouldn't be doing that job because there's so much more you could be doing. There's so much more creative stuff you could be doing. I mean, the human brain is so amazingly plastic and can do all these amazing things. But if they're just sort of sitting there doing this sort of mind-numbing job that a machine can do just let the machine do the job and people should be happy that you know i don't have to do this this uh, drudgery anymore right. but you have to give people a path to, to do something else drudgery. i mean I think, that's what, I think that's what's not happening it's like what's happening is that okay you don't have to do the drudgery anymore but you have no other option you, you have no other option right and for yourself right people are going on that extreme which is not right because at the end of the day, I mean, if we think about it, you know, even those people, the wizards, as we say, the people who are doing the software development or whatever, you know, you could upskill your people to learn how to do that. Because if it's logic based, right, 
then now you're starting to do that kind of stuff versus, I mean, factories, right? Factories, people doing the work, you know, it was done because, okay, not everybody's intellectual, blah, blah, blah. We look at factories, people were doing, you know, the rote jobs and they were, you know, putting the widget in, putting the wood, that's all they did all day long, right? They did that because they needed money, right? Everyone needs to have a job so that we can survive, blah, 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 blah. And so now you have wizards coming in and taking over that level first, right? Because you do have worker bees, but the worker bees are using the technology. Um, it's an Uber model per se, right? Um, until autonomous vehicles come along. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but the thing is that we still need people to build the technology. So if we're changing education at all levels, right? Um, whether it's we start at schools to upskilling the people that are there because we're living longer, uh, we're working longer, uh, which means we have to make income for longer. Um, it's now creating um, a world where we actually do need newer products and services, not because we're trying to add on to products and services, but we have to change the type of products and services that are needed by everybody. Right. So yes, yes, the the ability for the human mind to realize that oh, we need new industries. You know, uh, what is it? The one that they always talk about, the horse buggy whip. Yes. <laughs> right. Because when the car came along, you know, you had to switch over. Right. Yes. So, but you wouldn't have thought about everything about cars until the cars came along and everything that goes around it, the the tires, the you know all the bells and whistles people put on a car or whatever right so new in i think new industries new products new services are going to come about because we're living that way that's the ways of working for work and we will just continue to build around it that's what's happened every time right? every time we have a new technology um no one can figure out what's going to happen so people can see the job loss but they can't see the new jobs i mean it's the same thing that happened with the internet i mean a lot of the stuff that we're doing nowadays like didn't exist 20 years ago i remember at one point i had a team of web developers like web developers i mean there was no such thing as a web developer prior to like 1995 right 1995 there was nothing it wasn't such a thing as a web developer all of a sudden it became a career right and it's the same with uh with with autonomous vehicles i know there's plenty of features out there who go oh you know it's gonna it's gonna kill two million jobs and here's how it's gonna do it it's gonna you know all the way from you know uber drivers down to insurance agents to you know like gas station attendants whatever so yeah but you know those two million or two billion or however many people said are gonna find roles elsewhere doing other things as long as you know we're able to the new jobs will be created we just don't know what those are yet and that's happened every time throughout history right exactly and I'm gonna stop for you're skipping again by the way Is that better? Yes. Okay. I don't know if it records that way for you, but. Um, no, I, I can't hear it on my side, so. Okay. I'll just have to. But I was actually going to take your web developer thing to, to another level, right? So we had the web developers, but think about it today. Most of us don't really need a full-on web developer to build out a website. That's right. You know, we use Wix now. Yeah. Web, <laughs> web developer's Square. time has come and gone. Right. right. And that was such a short period. And, you know, those web developers have now evolved. You know, they learned some type of coding and they're trying to probably do other stuff with it or, you know, 
I'm sure, I'm sure, I mean, we do still have web developers made for bigger, larger companies, but most people don't need that anymore. Well, what's happened is the job went from uh, becoming all these different aspects in one role right. to splitting up to a hundred different aspects and a hundred right. different roles. Yes. So you got the web developer who went down the graphic design side yes. and you got the web developer who went down the code side and you have the web developer who went down the IT admin side. So it's like the original webmaster, remember webmasters? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Webmasters, the, the, the web role of a webmaster was to do everything. So yes. now a webmaster is like a thousand different roles. And yes. Each one of those roles is turned into a different job. So anyone who used to be a webmaster can now say, okay, I am now a Unix sysadmin or I'm a, you know, yep. like all the paths have exploded. And I think it's going to be the same for all of these. Exactly. All of these roles are going to go from a generic new role to, you know, exploded. Yeah. And we don't know what that is. And part of what we don't know that is because technology is allowing us to create things that weren't possible before which our human mind hasn't really thought about, again, the unintended consequences, right? Um, or even the consequences. I mean, I mean, and when I say consequences, I'm saying good or bad. I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying that either is good or bad. I'm just, but yes, you're, you're, you will continuously need, I mean, I believe that human beings will still need to be there to continue to create whatever new industries we continue to create, you know? At the end of the day, humans are still, I mean, granted, when you look at it from an investor side, so, I mean, that's the piece we haven't really talked about it, right? And we live right in the smack dab of Silicon Valley. You know, investors want their returns. So yeah. the question becomes, you know, for companies to start thinking, is, is it worth it, mm. right? Is is the cost of investor money worth it? And in many, in some, in many cases, it will be. Um, for us, we believe it is. We believe that there, there's going to be a cost for investors, but we also believe in the, the idea so much that we would rather it be able to spread quicker or faster versus trying to take the next five years to make, you know, yeah. the dent I think in the there's, some, there's some ideas that actually can be bootstrapped. Yes. Because they're fairly simplistic and then they, they take off and they're good. But yeah. there's others where you have to invest. Like if you think about life sciences or oh, technologies or whatever, I mean, you, you can't, I can't bootstrap a life sciences company, yep. you know, unless I'm like Bloomberg or somebody like that, right? It's not, it's just not possible. Whereas if I wanted to uh, jumpstart like a new Reddit clone, I could mm -hmm. do that. I mean, if you go online right now, there's like 20 well, Reddit yeah. on GitHub. Yep. Well, and, and, and you bring up a good point about life sciences, you know, life sciences affect us by, you know, this is our human bodies and human perspective, the biology and everything like that. And I do believe that even though we're living longer just because we're healthier in some ways, um, you know, there's, there's less plagues and so, well, well. We're dealing with our own. Right. Right. Exactly. But you know what I'm saying? It's, it's mm -hmm. not like it used to be, um, you know, the, the fact that, you know, in the middle ages, so many women died of childbirth, right? We don't have that issue as much anymore. I mean, it's still there, but it's not like in the middle ages where populations were decreasing because of that. Um, we are, we're having population growths. Um, we are using the world, you know, but biologically, you know, it's not like we've still found, you know, the elixir of life or anything like that, but our, our um, life expect expectancy over the past 10 years has gone up. Mm -hmm. 
you know, exactly. and it continues to grow up. Actually, somebody said a story the other day. They said their granddaughter was born a couple of weeks ago, and they were told that their granddaughter has a life expectancy of 102. Wow. That's great. Right? Because if you were born now, you, you could actually potentially live to about 100 or so. I believe that our generation will live to 100. Oh, yeah, for sure. So I'm not even close to middle age yet. But I am in well, my 40s. Have you know um, Aubrey de Grey? He's a uh, longevity researcher. And okay. he said, all we have to do is figure out how to live another 20 years. Mm-hmm. Because within those 20 years, we'll figure out how to live another 20 years 20 and so on and so forth. Exactly. And eventually we'll, we'll live forever. And then I, I'm like, that sounds great. I yep. want to do that. I right. totally want to do that. And there's other people who say, um, are we sure we want to live that long? And it's kind of like, I'm on the side of, you know, let's at least figure Try it. Right? Try it. Exactly. If you can. Like, don't, don't put the kibosh on this thing yet because right. we don't even know if it's possible. Exactly. So I'm I mean, on the side of let's give it a shot. Let's give it a shot. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I'm, I'm all for that. And especially considering that you hear, and you hear so many more stories of people celebrating 101 birthday or 102. And interestingly enough, I had someone in my network their dad was like 90 something years old. He was on all like telephone, computer, I mean, oh, sorry, cell phones, computer. He used all that. And it was like, yeah, you're, you're, it's not necessary that your brain's gone either. You know, it's not necessary that you're just a vegetable at 90 or yeah. whatever and you're living to 100 and being, but no, people are still very much active. You know, the, the whole ageism, right? Traditional corporate, I mean, both sides, there's ageism, right? The newer companies are saying, no, we only want young people. Although, you know, corporations are saying, well, we want experience, but oh, by the way, if you're too experienced, sorry, you're too old now. And, and you're like, too expensive. Don't forget too, too expensive, expensive. Right? You're too expensive. Actually, that's probably a bigger reason. But then, you know what? I'm sorry, but these older people have been used to living and working a certain way and getting those, you know, they worked towards that. That was the path. And now everything's blowing up in front of them and they're being like, what? what do I do now? You know, but I still want that lifestyle.